babe. Appreciate you. Amen. Hallelujah. I told you today, 33 years ago today, I got saved. It was about 40 minutes from here. Frederick Baptist Temple at that time. Church now. Frederick Baptist Church. And it was because somebody, not, not just anybody, Roger Runkles, because he asked me. I was a little boy, and he asked me if I knew I was going to heaven. Amen? Praise God for salvation. All right, Proverbs chapter 20 is where we began here with Brother Williams. He read it to us. Chapter 20. The reason I had him read that scripture is because whenever somebody would ask me about this subject, that's the first verse that comes to mind. That's just the verse I've got. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. I've been writing that verse for a while. That, that's just the one I got in my mind. But it also doesn't say thou shalt not, does it? It said whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. And you know how people are. They, they're gonna, if they want to sin, they're going to find a way to figure it out. They're going to figure it out. Well, it doesn't say I can't. It just says I can't be, shouldn't be deceived. That's interesting, isn't it? I tell you, this study, as I got into it, was a lot more in depth than I was expecting. And I started to read on it, and I started to study. I started looking up definitions of words. I've, I went to the concordance. I found out everywhere this word was used. And I started to define these words in the Hebrew and the Greek and trying to understand it. And I am not an over-intelligent man. And I'm saying, Lord, I'm telling you what. I, the first day I was reading and reading and reading, and I kept going into it, and then... You know, trying to see what other men have said and what they're finding too. And I, I literally, I was, I, driving home, I said, Lord, I need you to show me the truth. Because I'm struggling a little bit. And there's a lot of times where God talks about this in the Word of God. And I need to know the truth. I need to teach the people that you have given me what the truth is according to the Word of God. And the next day I come back and, and uh, he began to uh, just bring Scripture to light and to, for me to understand it. And realize what's going on here in the passage. And it was a difficult one. I've heard a lot of hard preaching against drinking. A lot of it. You, you have too. Hard preaching. Okay. And, uh, but nowadays it seems like there's a soft stance against it. It seems as if people are embracing it. Uh, or, or at least uh, excusing it. And, um, and I've, even, I've even heard of preachers that are allowing it. In their, even in their own homes. And embracing it. And what's, we got to know the truth here. What I haven't heard is good old-fashioned honest teaching from the Word of God on this subject you know, completely. I've heard it preached about. I've heard it mentioned. But I don't really know what the Bible had to say until I dove into it myself. And so tonight, what I want you to do is stretch your fingers a little bit. Lick them. Because we're going to use the Bible tonight. Amen. Amen. We're going to use the Bible tonight. Let's pray and then we'll dive into it. Lord, we need you. Father God, I thank you for arranging this. Lord, for, for showing me your will that this is what you wanted tonight. Lord Jesus, I thank you for our church so we can meet together, look to your word. Lord, you being the living word and we get to look into the written word. And Holy Spirit of God, as you take this scripture and bring it to light for us, to help us to understand it. May you teach us the truth behind it. And help us to know what we ought to do in this subject of strong drink, of alcohol, of wine. Lord, it's so rampant in our world today. And Lord, help us to know what lines to draw and where to make our decisions so we protect our families and we protect our church against the, the wickedness of Satan and the wickedness of this world. And Lord, help us now to be students of the Word. Teach us in Jesus' name, please. Amen. All right. Let's go to the first time in the Bible that wine is ever mentioned. Let's go to Genesis chapter 9. Please. Genesis chapter 9. Now, I told you this is a Bible study, and it's going to be a lot of teaching, but... What happens is when I start teaching, the Holy Spirit just makes me start preaching too. <laughs> and, uh, and if God wants to do that, that'd be all right. Pro, uh, Genesis chapter 9, this is the first time when I looked up the word wine in Scripture, this is the first time that it is mentioned. 
All right, we're talking about the days of Noah here. This is Genesis chapter 9. If you look towards the end of the chapter, we'll start in verse 20, please. Genesis chapter 9, verse 20. And the Bible says, And Noah began to be a, hus- a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. That just means he tilled the ground. He's farming the ground. He's tilling it, right? And he, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine and was what? Drunken. And he was uncovered within his tent. That doesn't sound too good, does it? Sounds like an inappropriate situation because he was drunk. Isn't that interesting? The very first time wine is mentioned in the Bible, it's an inappropriate situation. Find that very interesting there. Okay, And he drank of the wine and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father and told his two brethren without. What's that mean? That means he was broadcasting or making a mockery of his father's sin. That's what he was doing. Okay, He didn't cover the sin. He didn't try to, for his father's reputation and sake, because he loved his father, try to cover it up. He went and broadcasted it and said, Hey, come see what daddy's doing. Look at this fool over here. And he began to broadcast it. Okay, And then we see his other two sons. Verse 23. And Shem and Japheth took a garment and laid it upon both of their shoulders and went backward and covered the nakedness of their father and their faces were backward and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine. What? He'd been drunken. He'd been unconscious. Maybe he's having uh, what we know the world says a hangover or something. Right? And And he knew what his younger son had done unto him. Verse 25. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. Wait a minute, who's Canaan? Canaan is the son of Ham. Ham is Noah's son. And he's cursing his grandson here, the son of Ham. And he said, Cursed be Canaan. A servant of servants shall shall he be unto his brethren. Was Canaan involved with the mockery of sin that, that Ham was doing? We don't know that. But Noah is here cursing Canaan. And he said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And he goes on there to continue that. Right? Help me here. The very first time wine is mentioned in the Bible, is it a positive thing or is it a negative thing? It's negative. Noah, listen here. Careful now. The Bible in in the New Testament, Peter calls him a preacher of righteousness. That's what, that's what Peter calls him. The Holy Spirit through Peter calls Noah a preacher of righteousness. You remember when all the world is in sin and God's ready to destroy it, there was one man that stood out. And that was Noah. And here Noah, after this great victory, where eight people were saved on the ark to continue the human race on the earth, Noah was the one that brought great shame upon his family And they would be affected forever because of what he did. Okay, we can see that. It's black and white. It's easy to see that. Right? Canaan would be the father of the Canaanites and the people that would dwell in the promised land but weren't Jews. Right? All those ites of the Bible, right? The Jebusites, the Hivites, the, you know, all those ites, right? I'm trying to remember them all. I can't. Right? Right? The, uh, whatever those ites were. And, and then the, the Canaanites also went down into the continent of Africa and settled all of that as well. Okay? And so, uh, this is who the Canaanites were, and they're cursed here. Okay? It was a negative outcome of wine, the first time wine is ever mentioned in the Bible. I think this is important that we see that. The second time wine is mentioned in the Bible... I won't have you turn there, but it is Genesis 14. If you'd like to read it later, you can. It's Melchizedek. Melchizedek comes to Abraham. His name's not Abraham yet, it's Abram. God hasn't changed his name yet. Abram. And Melchizedek comes to him. This was after Sodom uh, was conquered by another king. This, Sodom had not been destroyed yet. 
Lot was in Sodom. Another king came down from the north, conquered it, and took Lot and his family off into captivity. Abraham went after, his re- went after the rescue, went after him and rescued him. And in the meantime, Melchizedek comes to Abraham and he, and he brings, the Bible says he brings bread and wine to him. Now, Melchizedek's title in the scripture is the priest of the Most High God. That's what God called him. And the priest of the Most High God is bringing to Abraham wine and bread. Doesn't sound very negative, does it? If the priest of the Most High God is bringing wine and bread. He's bringing him provisions of physical food and drink after he's been at war and and getting his family back. Okay, Now, I believe according to the New Testament... If you look in Hebrews, it writes a lot about Melchizedek. I believe it was Jesus Christ. I believe that very strongly because Jesus Christ is after the order of Melchizedek. And how can God be after the order of some man? I believe it was a pre-incarnation of Jesus Christ that Jesus met Abraham in the flesh on earth because he did it again later, didn't he? Wasn't there three men that came to his tent later? Two of them were angels and one of them stayed behind and Abraham started praying to him, Lord, Would you save them if there was 50 righteous? Right? Jesus Christ had done this. Let's go to that. So the result of that wine, the second time it's mentioned in in the Bible, the result of that was positive. It It was a positive thing. Let's go to the third one. This is Genesis 19. The third time wine is mentioned in the Bible. This is Genesis 19. This one is a difficult... Um, difficult passage of scripture to read and really to think about. It's, it's Lot and his daughters. That's what this is. Okay? You know what? You Bible students know what we're talking about. Lot left Sodom. He's actually drug out of Sodom by, by the angels. Remember that? He said, well, well I'm just... What? And, and they literally took him by the hand and took him out of the city. And, uh, and he said, don't turn back. Don't look back. You remember Lot's wife turned to a pillar of salt. Right? I wonder how, I mean, how many years did the, did the horses and donkeys licker afterwards, you know, right? like the pillar of salt, right? Just a pillar of salt. I mean, it's hard, it's hard to, to, to put that in your brain, but God said it, he did it, and he did it. Okay, a pillar of salt there. Okay? And Lot and his two daughters are now leaving. Look at Genesis 19 here, and look at verse 30. And Lot went up out of Zoar... This was a city near to Sodom. Lot went up out of Zoar and dwelt in the mountain and his two daughters with him. For he feared to dwell in Zoar. And he dwelt in a cave, he and his two daughters. Now look at this, verse 31. And the firstborn said unto the younger, Our father is old and there is not a man in the earth to come in unto us after the manner of all the earth. Now, where have they been? They've been in Sodom. They've been in the world. Their mind is corrupt to the wickedness of the world that they knew. You know that. When you come out of the world, you've got to get your mind cleaned up. You've got to get some things of what you thought was right cleaned up. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. You've got to get into Scripture and you've got to get that junk out of you by filling it with, with what's right. We know that. And so these young ladies, they're so full of that filth that they've been in there. And look what happens here, verse 32. Come, let us make our father what? Drink wine. Why do they want him to drink wine? Because they want him to get drunk. They want him to get tipsy. They want him to get to where he doesn't know what's going on. And for the sake of all the ages that are in this room right now, we know what's going on here. They're they're saying, well, I'm never going to know another man. That's filth, that's garbage, that's of the world. If, if God wanted them to, to, to carry on and, and carry their father's name on, then he would have brought a man. Okay? So incest happens here, and it's sickening and it's gross. It's wrong. Okay? We know that. And what's involved? Wine is involved. So here, wine has been mentioned three times already, and two of the times it's been negative, and one of the times it's positive. Okay? And so we see that, what's going on. They made their father drunk twice. And what comes of this? You read the scripture, Moab comes of it and Ammon comes of it. Two nations 
that would be the enemies of God's people for now, forever. Okay? All right, let's go on to the fourth time. And this is the last one in the... We won't keep going to the fifth and sixth and seventh. Wine is mentioned 233 times in the Bible. Okay, we won't do that all tonight, okay? But we are going to do a lot. Let's go to Genesis 27. Genesis 27. We've had one negative, one positive, and then a second negative. Look at Genesis 27. This is the fourth time it's mentioned in the Word of God. In Genesis 27, we have... Jacob wanting to steal the blessing from his father Isaac from Esau, right? Jacob and Esau, right? Jacob says, I want that blessing. And Isaac said to Esau, go out and get me a deer. Get me some venison, right? And uh, Brother Andy, you think it was, uh, you think it was some uh, bologna? Deer bologna or what? I don't know, buddy. All right. But he says, I want some venison. Go out and get me some. Bring it back to me. Fix it up real good. We're going to eat together and I'm going to bless you. Right? So you know, the, you know what happens, right? Jacob says, Mama, help me. And Mama dresses up a kid of the goats, right? The lambs there and makes it taste like the deer meat. However, she did that. And she put some hair on him, made him a hairy man and made him smell like his brother. That means he stunk. I don't know if you caught that or not, but it means you stunk. Right? It made him smell like his brother. Right? And look at verse number 20. This is Genesis 27, 20. And Isaac said unto his son, excuse me, let's just skip down to the next one, 21. And Isaac said unto Jacob, come near, I pray thee, that I may feel thee, my son, whether thou be my very son Esau or not. And Jacob went near unto Isaac, his father, and he felt him. And he said, the voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. His, his hearing was not gone, his sight was. And he's saying, yeah, this isn't sitting well with me. Right? Verse 23. And he discerned him not because his hands were hairy and his brother Esau's, as his brother's Esau's hands. So he blessed him. And he said, Art thou my very son Esau? And he said, I am. And he said, Bring it near to me, and I will eat of my son's venison, that my soul may bless thee. And he brought it near to him, and he did eat, and he brought him wine, and he drank. Interesting. Let's continue. And his father Isaac said unto him, Come near now and kiss me, my son. And he came near and blessed him. And he smelled the smell of his raiment and blessed him and said, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of the field which the Lord hath blessed. In other words, you smell like animals. (laughs) You stink, right? That's what he's saying here. Verse 28. Therefore God give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of corn and wine. He goes on here and continues to give his blessing. Notice the word wine is mentioned twice. Wine is mentioned twice. Once it's mentioned in the verse 25 that Jacob gave his father wine, and once it's mentioned in verse 28 where his father is praying that Jacob would have plenty of wine. When I got looking at this, And I studied and I defined those words and I looked at the word in Hebrew and what it meant. I found out that those two wines are two different words. That's what I found out. The first wine in verse 25 is this word, this Hebrew word, yayin. It's Y-A-Y-I-N. I believe it's pronounced yayin. And what that word means is fermented or intoxicating. Okay? As it's uh, the, the root word of this Hebrew word, yayin, means the English word, and I'm going to try and say this right, effervesce, ever, and that means giving off bubbling gas as fermenting liquor. That's what that means. So this, this word means fermented or intoxicating, and even the root word means it bubbles up and becomes fermenting. So Jacob gave to his father something to make him get just a little bit fuzzy. You with me? That's what he did here. And then his daddy starts praying in verse 28 and asking a blessing upon him and says that he would have a lot of corn and wine. That word is the Hebrew word tiroshi. It's T-E-E-R-O-S-H-E. And that Hebrew word tiroshi means fresh grape juice. That's what it means. 
Okay, the root of that word points to expulsion. Okay, not being expelled from school, but that's why we would use that word. But the idea here is expelled. The juice is expelled from the grape. In other words, it's freshly squeezed out. Okay, that's what the root word for this Teroshi means. And that's the word that is used in verse 28. The reason I'm pointing this out to you tonight is because I want you to see that not every time the word wine is used in the Bible does it mean the same thing. Sometimes wine is used in the Bible and it's meant to be an intoxicating substance. And sometimes it's used in the Bible and it means literally grape juice. Does anybody else in here love grape juice? Because I sure do. I would take grape juice over orange juice and apple juice any day, any second of the day. When I was a kid and we'd have communion, I'd take that grape juice and I'd let it sit in my mouth for a little bit. I wouldn't swallow it. I'd literally, I'd wait. We'd always do it at the end of the service. And preachers praying and getting out of service. I'm still, I love it. I love grape juice. Okay? But we know that it can be different when it gets fermented. We understand that. Jacob gave his father fermented drink. And Isaac is praying that Jacob would receive fresh grape juice. All right? So wine can be either way. So, okay, preacher, how do we know? Pastor John, how do we know? A lot of times the context will teach you. The context. You can see when a man is trying to get drunk in the scripture and you can see where, where he's just getting some grape juice. He's just drinking it for whatever the reason is. You, a lot of people talk about Jesus turning, turning the water into wine. Okay, we'll get there. I want to show you some more things in the scripture here. All right. In Leviticus chapter 10, and you, can, you, don't, you don't have to turn there. I'm not going to turn to everyone on these passages But you might want to write it down. In Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 9, God is talking to Aaron, the high priest. Leviticus 10 verse 9, Aaron is being, God is talking directly to him. He is the spiritual leadership at this time and he's talking to him. He says this, this is God talking to Aaron. Do not drink wine nor strong drink. Thou nor thy sons with thee When ye go into the tabernacle of the congregation, lest ye die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. What did he just say? He says, Aaron, you're my high priest. And you come into this this tabernacle before the people, you you don't drink that wine. You you leave that strong drink alone. You are the man that I put here for a purpose, and you leave that strong drink alone. That's what he's saying. He says, if you fool with it, you're going to die. What's very interesting is, if you read that chapter, what just happened right before that? There's two people that died. And their names were Nadab and Abihu. Do you remember that? This is Leviticus chapter 10. The Bible says that Nadab and Abihu offered strange fire before the Lord. And we can get into that study, but I don't have time tonight. Strange fire... There was a fire that God said it was always to be lit. And it was for the sacrifice. It was a picture of Christ. That Christ would would be the one that makes it happen. Alright? That's what it was. You can study that maybe on another time. But they offered strange fire. And immediately after they died, God said, you go in and get their bodies. And then he turns to Aaron and he says, you don't drink strong drink. As if the context is pointing that these two men were under the influence when they offered strange fire. It seems that way. You read it and you look at that context there and it seems as if God says, you're dead. Let's take care of it. Aaron, don't you let that happen. You leave that strong drink alone. It's right there in the context. It's right there. So read that sometime later, would you please? Number six. Number six, another time. In in number six... There's the teaching of the Nazarite vow. A Nazarite was a Jew that made a vow to God for a specific purpose. Sometimes God said, this boy, this this offspring of yours is going to be a Nazarite for all of his life. Okay, a couple examples, right? Samuel was a Nazarite his whole life. Samson. Samson, the strong man, was a Nazarite set apart for a purpose and God said he was going to be a Nazarite, right? 
That's why he couldn't cut his hair. That's why he couldn't touch any dead thing. And that's why he couldn't drink any wine. And he broke all three. He broke all three. But in that Nazarite vow, God says this. This is number 6, verse 3 and 4. He says, He shall separate himself from wine and strong drink, and shall drink no vinegar of wine or vinegar of strong drink, neither shall he drink any liquor or grapes, nor eat moist grapes or dried. Catch that? He's not just to not drink grape juice. He's not to drink strong drink. He's not to eat any grapes and he's not to eat any raisins. That's what he says. He's saying a Nazarite that has set himself apart for me for a purpose, I don't even want him to come anywhere close to having an image of being intoxicated. He said, I want him above reproach. In other words, if there's a bar on that road, don't turn down that road. That's what he's saying. Don't even eat the grapes. Don't even eat the, the raisins. I don't know about you. First of all, who wants to eat raisins? But moving on. I've never known anybody got drunk off of raisins. Maybe if you're dipping it in something. I don't know what you're doing, okay? But what God's saying here is he's saying, leave the raisins be. This man is set apart for a reason. This Nazarite, you don't touch the stuff. He says, be above reproach. All right? Now, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm 75. This was very interesting to me when I saw this. This is Psalm 75. Here is the Lord, and He's got a cup in His hand. Psalm 75. I want you to see this. Psalm 75. Church, uh, normally, if, normally if I have notes while I'm preaching, um, <laughs> normally they're about three pages worth. And tonight I got six. <laughs> and so I'm, not, I'm trying to try not to take all night, but l- listen here, listen here. You need this. And I need this. And let's study the Word together. All right? Psalm 75. Look at what, look at what the Bible says. Verse 8 talks about the Lord here, and He's got a cup in His hand. All right? Somebody tell me, why do you have a cup in your hand? So you can take a drink. Look at God here. Look at God. For, this is Psalm 75, 8. For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, and it is full of mixture, and he poureth out the same. But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. Okay, let's define these words and understand what's going on. The Bible says he's got a cup in his hand, and he pours it out. He doesn't drink it, he pours it out. Okay? So this word wine in this passage here is that Hebrew word yayin. And that's that word that means fermented. Okay? Or, or intoxicating. Red here is the Hebrew, Hebrew word kamar. And it means to bowl up, hence to ferment and to glow with redness. Okay? Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach this a little bit more in just a moment. But... In, in Israel in these days, in the Middle East, most of the wine was red. It's not that white wine or whatever. I don't even understand all that stuff. It wasn't that it was unheard of, but most of it was red. And the red in the light would glow and glisten. Okay, Some of you have experience in the world with that kind of thing. It says the wine is red and it is full of mixture. Mixture is the idea that it's, it has spices in it. It's got flavoring in it. And look what he did. Did he drink it? No, he didn't. He poured it out. God looks down at his cup and he says, Whoa, this ain't right. And he pours it out. He poureth out the same. Now, what are these dregs? It says, But the dregs thereof, all the wicked of the earth, shall wring them out and drink them. A dreg is that solid particle of a, of a, of a fluid that, that settles at the bottom. That's what a dreg is. Sometimes coffee can do that. Wine does that. Now, whether it's a particle of the grape or whatever it is, it's a solid particle that settles at the bottom of the drink. Okay? And what he's saying is God poured out the cup 
And the wicked people ran behind him and looked for the particles and wrung them out to get a drop of it. That's what he's saying. The wicked are going after this thing when God said, this ain't for me. Okay? And so, very interesting here to see that God poured out this cup. Now, let's go back to Proverbs, please. Proverbs 20. And Proverbs is where it gets really in-depth with some different things about wine. And we'll look at the passages here. Proverbs 20 is where we began. Proverbs chapter 20 is where we began. Verse 1. I'll read it again. Wine is a mocker. Strong drink is raging. And whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. What is he saying? What's he saying? He's saying, wine makes you look and sound like a fool. That's what he's, is he not saying that? It's a mocker. It makes a mockery of you. It's raging. It makes you act like a fool. You've seen people that are drunk. You see them say things that are inappropriate and loud and just, un, just awful. Why? Because when we're not in our right mind, what's in control? The wine is. Not us, not the Spirit of God. It's that, it's that alcoholic substance. You know that. He says, wine's a mocker. Strong drink is raging. It makes you look like a fool. It makes you sound like it. it. makes you act like it. And it says, whosoever is deceived thereby is not wise. Listen here. Church family, look at me, please. You will be deceived. I'm telling you that as your pastor. I'm telling you because I've seen it. Many of you know that I was in the fire service for a while. You know how many calls I've run on drunk people and intoxicated? And they look and sound like a fool and it deceived them. Who in their right mind says, I want to be a drunk? Who in their right mind says, I want to ruin my life? Who in their right mind says, I want to die early because I'm an idiot? Nobody does. It deceives them. It deceives them. Now, the Bible's not done yet. You know that verse I gave you this morning. It sounds a little weird, doesn't it? We're going to look at that. Okay? We're not done yet. Okay. So, in, uh, in the 1960s, the American Medical Association declared alcoholism. What is alcoholism? That's a, that's a fancy, um, sensitive way of saying you're drunk. Okay? It's a, it's a politically correct term is what it is. In, 19, in the 1960s, the American Medical Association said that alcoholism is a disease. <laughs> now let's understand this. If they really meant what they said, knowing the last couple of years and the disease that's been in the world, do you really think our government would let people spend so much money promoting the disease and spreading it around? It's not a disease, it's sin. And what do we do? What do we do? Alcoholism, meaning being a drunk, being addicted to a substance is a sin. And God tells us this very clearly. Drunkenness is a sin. There's nobody that I know of that would ever, come, uh, would ever d- dispute the fact that drunkenness is a sin. Okay? Everybody understands that. The Bible says, be not drunk with wine. It says that. Be not drunk with it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, I don't want you to turn there, but I'm just quoting it here or or referencing it. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, Paul says, If there is a brother among you that is a drunkard, remove yourself from him. He says that. He says a list of things. He says if he's a drunkard, if he's a fornicator, if he's this thing, if he's that thing, he says, get out, don't be among them. Get rid of that, that, get out of his company. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 21, Paul is writing down the works of the flesh. And one of those works of the flesh is drunkenness. It's drunkenness. Okay? So not too many people dispute the fact that being drunk is a sin. It's pretty foolish. Let me give you some facts here. 15% of Americans, 15% over the age of 60 are alcoholics. That is crazy. This, these are stats that are several years old, so it might be a lot more. This, this one here, 76 million Americans have alcoholics in their families. Now again, that's several years old. It's probably double that. 
But if I was to ask for a raise of hands, how many of you know alcoholics? Uh, there'd be hands all across this room. All across this room. Okay? I've known them. You've known them. Alexander the Great. Right? Young man who conquered the world at a young age. Conquered the world in his 20s. I believe, if I'm not mistaken there. He soon died shortly after because he couldn't conquer his addiction to alcohol. It's a deceiver. All right, let's look at Proverbs 27 here. Not, not 27, 21. Excuse me. Proverbs 27. <laughs> Proverbs 21, excuse me. I looked at 17, verse 17. That's where I'm headed. Proverbs 21 and verse 17. Excuse your preacher tonight. All right? I didn't have any grape juice before I walked up here. Okay? <laughs> I did not. Amen? No, I didn't have any raisins either. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord for that. Proverbs 21. All right? Verse 17 says, He that loveth pleasure shall be a poor man. He that loveth wine and oil shall not be rich. In other words, you get mixed up in this stuff, it brings you to poverty. Okay? It brings you to poverty. Now, let's go to chapter 23. This is where the warnings get very, very clear. This is the warnings that God gives us. I'm going to show you some warnings, and then I'm going to take you to the other script, parts of Scripture where it actually is encouraged. And that's where it gets a little dicey, a little confusing. And we're going to take some time and look at it here. Okay? All right, so verse, or chapter number 23 and verse 19. Hear thou, my son, and be wise, and guide thine heart in the way. Look at the next few words. Be not among what? Wine bibbers. You know who that is? That's people given to wine. That's people that can't put the bottle down. They keep, they keep hitting the sauce. With me? That's wine bibbers. It's the party life. Look at the next part. Be not among wine bibbers, among riotous eaters of flesh. That's the party crowd. It's the gluttons and the drunks. Look at 21. For the drunkard and the glutton shall come to poverty, and drowsiness shall clothe a man with rags. All right? Um, look down at verse number 26. My son, give me thine heart, and let thine eyes observe my ways. He warns him here. He says there's two big warnings. Look at this, verse 27. For a whore is a deep ditch, and a strange woman is a narrow pit. She also lieth in wait as for prey, and increaseth the transgressors among men. In other words, be careful. Immorality is real and it'll get you. You be cautious on this thing. That's a big time sin. You, you be warned. He's saying, son, these women of this world, you got to be careful. Because they want to get you. And the devil uses that. And immorality is real. And it'll get you. Then he says the second warning. Look at this verse 29. Look how clear this is. Who hath woe? Who hath sorrow? Who hath contentions? Who hath babblings? Who hath wounds without cause? Who hath redness of eyes? Again, this is, this is grief. This is sorrow. This is uh, strife. Babbling, what is that? That's gossip. That's running your mouth when you ought not to be running your mouth. You're babbling about things. You're saying things you ought not to be saying. Who hath wounds without cause? Who in the world is getting hurt and beat up and got these wounds and you can't explain them? I don't remember. I didn't feel it. I don't know what happened. I got black eyes and I got a bloody nose and I got this, but I can't remember it, right? That's what he's saying here. And who hath redness of eyes? Verse 30, here's the answer. They that tarry long at the wine. They that go to seek mixed wine. Look at verse 31. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth his color in the cup, when it moveth itself aright. Let's talk about this. God says don't even look at it. Don't even look at it. Now, that gets a little difficult, doesn't it? When you want to eat at a restaurant or you want to go to the grocery store. It gets a little difficult. But let's understand what he's saying here. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red. Again, let's talk about this for a second. People who want you to drink wine, whether it be restaurants, whoever it is, this is what they want. The idea, this is, they teach you how to do this thing. Is you take the, the, the glass in your hand and you stir it a little bit, 
and you oxidize it, right? Get the oxygen mixing in there so you can smell it. So you take a whiff of it and you're smelling it and it's attractive to your smell. And then you hold it up in the light and you let that light glisten off of it and that red and that sparkle and that shine, that glow that the wine has, it starts to attract your eyes. That's what he's talking about here. Look not thou upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup. And then it says, when it moveth itself aright. As I looked that up trying to understand that, when it moveth itself aright. When you drink that wine, what's it saying here? Or the context, or what, what is, many people agreed when, when I was looking this up trying to understand these words in the Hebrew here. When it goes down and your taste, your taste buds hit it, and then it goes on down your throat, and it goes pleasantly down, it's smooth, it tastes good, and it feels good. In other words, your body is going to enjoy it. That's what he's saying. He says your eyes are going to be attracted to it. Your smell is going to be there. He says, that's why he's saying don't even look at it. And then he says when it goes down, you are really going to enjoy it. So be cautious. Look look at what he says here. He continues here. Verse 32 At the last, though you've enjoyed it, at the last it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Somebody raise their hand in here who wants to get bit by a poisonous snake. I know right over here in the mountains we got North American rattlers. And I know there's copperheads. Why? Because I used to see them laying in the concrete, laying in the cracks, little baby copperheads. You have to take a shovel and go take their head off. Right? So... You know, somebody else doesn't come running out of the house and get it, get it in the heel or in the, in, the, in the whatever, ankle, right? Okay, who wants to get bit by a snake? Who wants that pain of the snake bite and then that poison running through their body? That's what God is comparing this to. He said, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. Okay, it's a warning here. At the last, at verse 32, it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Look at verse 33. He gets very dis- clear on this thing. Thine eyes shall behold strange women, and thine heart shall utter perverse things. You know what he's saying? He's saying when you're drinking alcohol, it leads to adultery. He's saying you start seeing people uh, in different ways and you start doing things you ought not to be doing because you're seeing it with your eyes and you start saying things you ought not to be talking about. It leads to immorality. It leads to adultery. That's what he's saying here. Verse 33. Yea, verse 34, thou shalt be as he that lieth down in the midst of the sea. Well, that's pretty dumb. Or as he that lieth upon the top of a mast. You're going to lay down in water and drown. Or you're going to try and lay on the top of a mast. That's pretty dumb. You're going to fall to your death. Right? That's what he's saying. You're making bad decisions because you've got alcohol in your life. That's what he's saying here. This is clear, is it not? He's saying you're making wrong decisions. Okay? Verse 35. They have stricken me, shalt thou say, and I was not sick. What's that sound like? That sounds like the next day. That sounds like the, the Sunday morning hangover and you're puking your guts out. That, what's that sound like? You're sick for, for no reason because you were full. That's what it sounds like. They have beaten me and I felt it not. Listen, I used to, I used to be around other firefighters and, and there was something about the brotherhood and they wanted to go to the bar together and drink and hang out together. It was like a brotherhood. And they knew that I didn't do that. I said, I'll be your brother, but I ain't going drinking with you. Okay? And uh, these guys, I'm telling you what, they tell stories where they all got in a fight at the bar. And, and, and they got a left hook to the, uh, this eye and, and whatever the case was. And they were bloodied. And, and I heard somebody say, the next morning I woke up and I had blood smeared along my hallway to my bathroom. And there was blood in my sink and all this thing. And I got this eyes hanging over here and I got this thing over here. You know what that says? That says you're a fool. You got wounds you don't even remember. Because you're messing with alcohol. That's what the Bible's saying here. It's very, very clear. He says, they have beaten me and I felt it not. Verse 35 at the end. When shall I awake? Huh. Yeah, I passed out because I was a drunk. Look at this here. I will seek it yet again. You know what that is? 
That's addiction. That's addiction right there. I will seek it yet again. Now, Bible's been very, very clear in these warnings against it. But there's other things in Scripture that are difficult to comprehend. Let's look at some of them. Would you go to Proverbs 31? Proverbs 31, please. Now, as you're turning there, let me give you a couple other things here. Consider an illustration here. If you were buying a plane ticket and you were boarding a plane, let's say we're all flying to Belize together. Okay, we're going to Belize. A lot of us are going to Belize next January. And we bought the ticket and we're boarding the plane. And as we're getting on the plane, the stewardess says, oh, by the way, one out of every 18 seats isn't going to make it. It's going to fall through the floor and they're going to fall, you're going to fall to your death. So one out of 18 is not going to make it on this plane. Why are the Stanleys looking scared? Because you're going to Belize. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay. But, but just stay with me for a minute. If that was the case, and the stewardess said, one out of every 18 is not going to make it. And you say, well, can you just tell me which seats are going to fall through the floor so I don't sit in that one? She says, I really don't know, but it's likely to be an aisle seat. Okay, first of all, you'd be a fool if you rode in that plane. (laughs) Secondly, if you even tried to ride in that plane, you wouldn't be sitting on an aisle seat. Doesn't that sound pretty dumb? But that's the stats of drinking. It really is. Because there's a lot of people that get deceived and they get drunks and they ruin their life. And you've known them and I've known them. Okay, let me give you, can you imagine this morning we had 460 some people in church today, right? Great number. But can you imagine if, if I said 50 people aren't going to make it through the service? You wouldn't come to church. <gasps> what? You wouldn't come? You'd be dumb if you did, wouldn't you? Okay, give me, let me give you some more stats and then we'll look at this other scripture. 20% of people who freeze to death in the U.S. do so because of alcohol. 25% of people that choke are related to alcohol. 50% of deaths from falls are due to alcohol. 52% of fire deaths are due to alcohol. 60% of suicides are related to alcohol. 60% of rapes. of murders, 69% of drownings, 72% of robberies and assaults, 76% of aircraft deaths. That's hard to understand that. And 80% of criminal court cases involve the use of alcohol. Just some stats. Again, nobody says I want to be a drunk. Nobody says I want to ruin my life. Nobody says I want to die early. But they don't heed the warnings and they take their first sip. I'm trying to help you as your preacher. Now let's look, at, let's look at this other verse here. This is Proverbs 31 I asked you to turn to. This is the one I shared with you today. Verse number 4. 31.4 It is not for kings, O Lemuel. It is not for kings to drink wine. Nor for princes to, to princes strong drink. Why? Lest they drink and forget the law... And pervert the judgment of any of the afflicted. Okay, that's pretty, pretty clear. Okay? A king ought to not have drink because he's going to not make good decisions. He's going to be perverted in his, in his, in his uh, decisions because he's not in his right mind. But then it gets to verse 6. Look at this. Give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. And wine unto those that be of heavy hearts. Let him drink and forget his poverty and remember his misery no more. Did you read that? Because <laughs> I did. Wait a minute. I thought God was completely against alcohol and strong drink. We just said here, give it to the guy who's dying. Now, common sense would tell us that the drugs and the prescriptions that your doctor prescribes you do the same exact thing to you. 
you've got, got to be cautious with that. You ask questions before you take medicine because this world's all about medicine. We've got to be cautious on this thing. Okay? I'm telling you what, Percocet and fentanyl and all this other stuff that's painkillers is just as addictive as alcohol is. I've known preachers that got addicted to pain pills because they had a, a medical problem. They got addicted to that and it killed them. Be cautious. Be cautious. Okay? Now, he does say, give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. Listen, whether, you, whether you're going to take the word of God here word for word and say, sometimes God says it's okay. You'll have people that disagree with you and don't, don't stand with you. Or if you take this side over here and say, it's a comparison. It's, it's just a vast comparison here. And God's saying, the king ought not to drink wine because he's in judgment. If you were going to do it, give it to somebody who's about to die because they don't have to make any judgment calls. And as big, strong, some people could say that and say, it's just a comparison there. It doesn't matter if you stand on this side and say that, or if you stand over here and say, God said it was okay to give it to God, some guy that's dying. It doesn't matter where you make your stance. Somebody's going to disagree with you. That's just the way and the world we live in. Not everybody has to agree with you and not everybody has to agree with me. This is where the difficulty comes in and you have to start making your decisions. You saw all the warnings in the word of God. You saw every one of them that I showed you tonight and how dangerous it is and how it makes you look and sound like a fool and how it brings about things in your life that you don't want. And here the word of God is saying it's okay or maybe it's not. Maybe it's a comparison here. You've got to make up that mind for yourself. Okay, I see it says give strong drink unto him that is ready to perish. If you believe that somebody's dying and in great pain and you want to take some of that pain away and give them a strong drink, I'm not going to fight you on that thing if they're dying. I'm just not going to fight you on that thing. What's the difference of giving them that and morphine? But the problem is, is when we, in our good health and right minds, start making excuses for our sin and say, well, God gave a reason why we could use it, so that must be okay sometimes. And you start making excuses for your sin. God clearly said, give it to somebody who's dying. Okay? Now, let's go to a different... Uh, well, let me tell you about this. We'll, let's go to Mark 15, and I'll explain a part of the Scripture here. I've given you all Old Testament. Let me take you to Mark chapter 15, please. And um, I'll wrap it up here shortly. Okay? Mark chapter 15, please. It was custom for women in Jerusalem... Let me, let me get there, and then I want to get this right. Okay, I wrote it down here. Um, women of Jerusalem would often provide to criminals and others on their way to execution a drink of medicated wine which might lighten the pain or suffering. Let me say that again. The women of Jerusalem would oftentimes make a strong drink, a medicated wine, and offer it to prisoners and criminals on their way to the execution. And so therefore, if they drank it, it would, it would help them to endure the pain. It would help them to lessen their suffering. This was a common practice. Look at it in Mark chapter 15. In Mark 15, somebody we know, pretty important here, is going to the cross. Jesus Christ, right? Look at what he's offered. Chapter 15 of Mark in verse 22. And they bring him, and they bring him unto the place called Gotha, which is being interpreted the place of a skull. And they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. The Lord poured his cup out in Psalm 75. Here, he's on his way to the cross, going to suffer a death that you and I can't even comprehend. He's already been scourged. He's carrying a, a cross on his bare, open tissue, muscle, and all that. The skin is gone. It's been ripped to shreds. He's carrying an old rugged two, uh, uh, railroad tie on his back. Think about the pain of that thing and all the blood loss. And he's offered a drink to ease his suffering. And he says, that's not for me. 
That's not for me. Mark 15, 23. Go with me to 1 Timothy 5. And this is the last place I'll have you go tonight. 1 Timothy chapter 5. Here's another passage where people say, it's okay, it's okay. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. Verse, uh, chapter 5, verse number 23. Now, before we read it, Timothy had some, he was a preacher boy, and Paul is often trying to make a man out of him. Is he not? Be a soldier. Endure hardness. Come on, boy. you got to fight for this thing. Don't be timid. Don't let them despise your youth. Be a man. Paul was a timid, or excuse me, Timothy was a timid man. He was a younger man and he was a little bit timid. And Paul was trying to make a man out of him. Some of you men try to do that with your boys. Come on, boy. Quit crying and pick your feet up. Let's go. Right? You're just trying to make a boy tough. I do it all the time. You ask Jethro and Tucker, man. Marshall. Okay? Took Marshall. I took the boy, the, the family on a bike ride recently. Marshall's four years old. He doesn't need training wheels anymore. Praise God. And I took him on a bike ride. And I made him ride six miles. Four-year-old, and he's on the way back. He's going, <laughs> Daddy, my legs hurt. And I said, boy, quit crying. We're almost there. Why? You say, Pastor John. I'm trying to make a man out of him. Trying to toughen him up a little bit. He's only four. Get over it. You ask my father. He's right there. What he made me do. He'll... He's soft now in his old age. He'll tell you some story. Okay. All right, moving on. Okay, listen, listen, listen. And where was I going with that? Amen. <laughs> trying to toughen up the boy, okay? Look, uh, so Paul's trying to toughen him up. Don't let people despise thy youth. You stand, you fight, you be the man of God you're supposed to be. Then it seems like all of a sudden he remembers that he's got some ailments. He's got some issues physically. And look what he says in verse 23 of chapter 5. 1 Timothy 5.23 Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake and thine often infirmities. That's another difficult passage right there. And I told you this morning, I'd study this, and I start scratching my head when I come across some of these verses. What? You're telling the young preacher boy to drink wine? So you know what I did? I looked up that word. That word is, it's not, it's not that Hebrew word, yayin, because this isn't Hebrew, this is Greek. New Testament was translated from Greek. It is the Greek word, I'm going to mess it up, but it's onios, O-I-N-O-S. And guess what? It's tied to that Hebrew word, yayin. It's tied to it. It's the same meaning. It's fermented. It's strong drink. It's what it is. And I'm reading that and I'm going, Paul just told Timothy to use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. And he's saying, if you need to do that, it's okay. Now, let's consider the, the time frame and the background here. What's he say? Don't drink any more water. Isn't that what he said? Let, let's read that again. What's he say here? He says, drink no longer water. Water standards in that day weren't very good. They were not clean. Okay? There was bacteria in the water. You know, oftentimes, you hear about it. You go to certain countries in the world. And if we go to Belize, can we drink the water there? Do you know? I'm not sure. Take, get a bottle of water. Okay. Okay? Some countries in this world, they say, do not drink the tap water. Don't drink it coming out of the spigot. You get a bottle of water. Why? Because there's certain places in the world where water is dirty. It's got bacteria in it. It's, got bu- it's just got junk in it. And, and if Timothy had a problem with his stomach, and he's adding bacteria to it, and it's making it worse, that's a problem, is it not? Can the body live without water? No, it can't live without water. Some of you say, but I drink my water filtered through coffee beans. Body can't live without water. What's he say? Drink no longer water, but use a little wine for thy stomach's sake. Now, that word wine means fermented. There's no, there's no getting around that. That's what it means. 
Can that word be used generalized? Yes, it can. But you see with the emphasis when he says a little, he's talking about a fermented wine here. Because notice, again, I underline that word a little here because he's saying, Timothy, I need you to be cautious with it. It's dangerous. You're a preacher. You ought not be mixed up in it. But you need it for your body. So take just a little bit of it. That's what he's telling him. This is clear. This is in my King James just like it's in your King James. And that's what he said. Okay? So here's where I'm, where I'm telling you with this saying. Timothy needed something. Now, is, is wine, does wine have medicinal purposes? I mean, in the world today, is it medicinal sometimes? Yes, it is. Okay? I, a long time ago, I remember a grandfather that was asked to drink a glass of wine every day to open up his veins and, his, and different things and, and, and to allow his body with circulation and all that such. Okay? Is it medicinal? It can be. Do people use this verse to open up the door and allow sin in their life? Yes, they do. Yes, they do. Here's what I'm going to tell you. The Bible says that for... Sick people and people that are about to die, sickly and about to die, then it must be okay a little bit. That's difficult for me. I've always been under hard preaching that's black and white, bless God. Amen? You've been under it too. But my Bible's saying something a little different here. Sometimes some of you all have trouble with this area of music because you don't know exactly where to draw the line. You know there's some boundaries, but you don't know exactly where to draw it. Sometimes with this, i got to see there's Scripture in here that says there is a place for it. And i got to be cautious here. I'm not, church here, I'm not trying to lead you astray. I'm trying to tell you that over and over and over and over and over and over and over again in the Word of God that we looked at tonight, God said, it's dangerous, it's dangerous, it's dangerous, be cautious, it's going to burn you, it's going to deceive you, and it's going to bite you like a snake. And then we see two hints at the fact that if you're dying, you could take a little bit of it. If you're struggling with your health that bad, then you can take a little bit of it. You see that? That's what it is in the Word of God there. Now, some people don't agree with me because I'm saying that's what the Bible says. I don't care what they think. That's what the Bible says. I'm not trying to lead you astray. Here's, here's where I'm at. I'm your preacher. I look at that thing and I see that thing. There's more scripture and we don't have the time to get to it. I see it's getting late. Okay. But there's more scripture in the Bible. The Bible says the man of God ought not to have it in his life. If you go to 1 Timothy chapter 3, it says that the bishop be, ought not be, he ought be not given to wine. It ought not to be a part of his life. It says the same thing about deacons, Brother Shank. It says the deacons ought not to be having wine in their life. It says that very clearly. In the, in the Old Testament, it told Aaron, he told Aaron, don't you have it. Don't you do it. In the New Testament, he tells the preacher and the deacons, don't you do it. Don't you have a part of your life. He says the kings and the princes ought not to have it a part of their life. If you're in a place of leadership or if you're in a place of judgment, don't have it a part of your life. Let me ask you in here. Is there any mom and dad that's not in a place of judgment in here? I got to rule my house. As a father, I ought not to have wine in my, in my life. Because I'm going to mess up when I'm trying to lead my children. Yes? Yeah. That's what God was saying there. Yeah. Some grandmothers and grandfathers in a place of judgment. Because you have either custody or you're watching those children. And you're in a place of authority in their life. And if you've got wine and such in your life, you're going to mess up. God warns us over and over and over and over again. And then he says, if you're dying or if you're real sickly, there might be a place for it. Here's where I'm at as your preacher. It's not going to be in my house. It's not going to be in my house. I'm not sickly and dying. I'm also your pastor and God said I ought not to be part of my life. So if it's not part of my life, then I'm not even going to let it come in my house. 
I'm not going to let my wife cook with it. I'm not going to have it in the cupboard. I'm not going to have it in the shopping cart. I'm not going to have it a part of that because I ought not to be a part of it. When the Nazarite said he couldn't even eat grapes and, 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 and uh, raisins, I might as well not even eat grapes and raisins. <laughs> Give me an apple or something. I mean, I like grape juice, so come on. He didn't say not have grape juice. Praise God. I like grape juice. Amen? My kids would be upset if they couldn't have grape, grapes, grapes and grape juice. All right. But listen here. Some people got to draw their line in different places. Here's where it is and we'll be done. Some people draw their lines in different places. I showed you what the Bible said. You've got to make up your mind. When you get sickly, are you going to let it be part of your life? If that's going to cause you to struggle and it's going to cause your brother to stumble, then it becomes wrong. Because Paul said, if, it, if your liberty causes your brother to stumble, then get rid of it. Did he not? He said that. What business do we have messing with poison that's going to destroy lives? Make your decision for your family. Okay? I would never, ever allow fermented wine to be a part of the communion table, ever. That picture is the blood of Christ, which was pure. I don't want no fermented mixed wine in there and showing something that's not pure. That's a false picture of Christ. It's not going to be a part of my house. You make the decision for your house. You see the Word of God. I've shown you that. The Bible doesn't say thou shalt not, but it gives us a whole lot of warnings and it gives us two little times when it might be okay. You make the decision for your house. Just like I've got to make it for mine. What do you believe? Did Jesus Christ make fermented wine when in, in, in John chapter 2, the marriage of Canaan? Cana? Did He do that? I don't see anywhere in the Scripture where making an alcoholic drink is anywhere in the character and teaching of Jesus Christ. My Bible says that God poured it out. My Bible says that Jesus Christ refused that mixed wine when he was going to the cross. If there was a time when somebody was sickly and about to die, that was then. And Jesus said, that's not for me. That's not for me. So what do you believe? And where do you make your, where do you make your line at? That's where it's at. Let's pray together. Lord, I know tonight was long. I know it was, Lord. But this is the Bible. And this is the Word of God. And we've got to make decisions for our family. Lord, if we do not make a decision, we open it up to our children can, can go either way, one way or the other, and not be taught and not be led. Lord, help us as fathers, as mothers, as family members, Lord, to make decisions that this is either going to, this is, this is where I draw the line. Lord, may, maybe we've got families in here that are strong about it and already know where they draw that line. May they make a decision to teach their children. May they make a decision to teach their grandchildren where the line is drawn. And Lord, I pray that we would be seeking your face on this thing. Lord, that we not be deceived. Because it is so easy to get deceived. Lord, it doesn't matter what position we hold in the church or where we are in what job or where we are or how long we've been saved. People have fallen to the drink. They've fallen to alcohol. And I pray that we would make decisions that protect our families. Help us tonight, please. I'm going to ask Brother Stanley to play the piano.